One Pride, this is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where one pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I'm joined this evening by the lovely Ashley Soden and our favourite Scotsman in the world, Stephen Collins. This is, as I say, the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, episode 245, I believe. Everything is bigger in Texas, including the referees' bribes. Um going to be a running theme on the show today ladies and gentlemen I will warn you not of this but gents it is uh it's good to have you in here with us as always if any of you in the chat are wondering why where the hell is Matt today um if you're not familiar with podcasting what happens before you go on air you have to go to something called the podcast referee and you have to declare to him which one of you is going to be <laughs> hosting the show on the day so obviously <laughs> me and Matt go in there as we always do and Matt's like Matt you know reporting eligible and the guy kept saying Anthony you know we're like Matt he's like no Anthony so you stuck with me today Matt's not allowed to do this the podcast referee decided that is the way that things go so no I'm just joking he has got the flu this evening unfortunately there's a big case of it going around so send all your well wishes to Matt's there in the comments but as I say there's the three of us here this evening gents we are a couple of days removed from the game because, of course, we got the lovely late Saturday night kickoff this week, up till five in the morning for everything that went off. Two days later, how are you both doing? Still as angry as before. Still as angry as before. Doesn't help the fact that Cowboys fans are deciding to bring up the tripping penalties. If that completely changed the game, what about the missed uh, DPI and Amon Ra. What about the missed hold on the 92-yard touchdown? One decision does not doth make it for game, but that decision pretty much did make that game because it went downhill from there. So, fuck Brad Allen and fuck Cowboys fans. I mean, come on, Ash, don't sit on the fence here. Let us know how you really <laughs> feel about that one. Uh, Steve, how are you feeling two days on from the Cowboys and the Lions? That that was Topper uh, <laughs> Ryan sitting on the fence from Ash there. Um, I mean, you know, it's a familiar tale, isn't it? You know, an NFL team goes into Jerry World, and mysterious things happen. Um, so, I I think the thing that I, I kind of makes me feel less suicidal because, like, I really wanted to beat the Cowboys, at, like you know, in their own stadium, and I think it would have been an important. Um, kind of, you know, marker laid down in terms of the playoffs. Um, but I mean, we, we played so well. Um, yeah, we made, uh, you know, there were, there were mistakes, um, but we played really well against, you know, the Cowboys are probably one of the top six teams in the NFL, I would say. Um, that I wouldn't say they're in the top three, but they're definitely in the top sort of five or six. And um, intimidating atmosphere. And, you know, the players did not melt. They absolutely played their heart out, played some really good stuff. Um, and I think there's loads of positives as well as negatives to take away from the game. So I've kind of just tuned the ref things out because I think, um, 
you know, I don't want to ruin my new year by just just steaming. Uh, so I've just tried to kind of like tune it out. And it's not like you can go to football either to get a bit of a relief at the minute, is there? So, but you know, you well, say I'm, you're not I'm, letting the refs bother you, and your, your Zoom name is Zebras <laughs> Hate Lions. So clearly, subconsciously, <laughs> they're still having. <laughs> I'm just getting at my angst in in existential ways, um, and you know, obviously, like um, there has been one football result which has given me a lot of pleasure over the last few days, but I I can't talk about it for reasons at the bottom of the screen. And Ash is just here not commenting on this because he absolutely does not want to put the curse on Villa at the minute. Beans is there. They top of the Premier League now or are they joint, joint top? top or... Joint top with Liverpool. And if Liverpool lose 7-0 tonight, we we do we officially go top. But would, would that, you I'll win take a trophy it. for that? If, if, if someone would have told you. Oh, would, you would, would you win a trophy for winning over Villa despite being like seven places below them? <laughs> we, we came back in the second half trophy awarded to Ten Hag. <laughs> oh, we're stirring the pot already early here. But I mean, oh. like, if you'd have been told four months ago, Ash, that the Lions are going to the playoffs and Villa are joint top of the Premier League, like, what would your reaction have been then? Just been like, what the hell did I sacrifice to make that happen? Like, <laughs> did I give up my first five born children or something? Did it would have been like that, that, ritual? That, that South Park <laughs> meme with lots of semen everywhere. That's yeah. what that's what the NFL demands of you to get good refereeing calls. We need to give up more. But anywho, yeah, yeah, we are going to be discussing the Lions and Cowboys game today. Just shout out to everyone in the building with us. Um, Michael Bravo on Twitter. Oh, sorry, Twitter. YouTube, Carlton Wood is in the building. Donkey Kong's in the building. Brent is in the building. Ward Gushy is in. Marcus, DMAP Zoom, TJ, Lisa is in the building. Hope you're doing well, Lisa. Chrome is in the building as well. Just bear with me today. It's been a long time since I've prepped one of these uh, Lion shows and hosted. But as I say, Matt is not well at the moment. But I will do my best this evening. I'm in the chat. So if you've got any questions or anything you want to ask as we go along, we shall do that indeed. Let me just get all the housekeeping stuff out of the way first. So our Discord, if you want in, let us know. We will fire a link your way. Come and join us. It's coming up to playoff season. It's going to be great. Um, college football podcast with myself and Ryan. We will be back this week on Wednesday. We sort of took a Christmas break off last week um, in mid-bowl season. So this week we're going to be talking about bowl season, sort of reviewing that and we're going to be reviewing the college football playoffs as well. Big shout out to the Michigan Wolverines this evening, taking part in the Rose Bowl against Alabama. Go smash Saban, please. Otherwise, I will spend two hours talking rubbish about you on Wednesday. Um, don't forget to like and sub to everything. Twitch, YouTube, all that good stuff. We really appreciate the support there. Don't forget about Lions Nation Unite, Herman Moore's pet project to bring together the best in YouTube content creators um, on YouTube which include ourselves, um, but it's a great app getting there and you can just find everyone in one nice, easy to use app. Don't forget, we are a Twitch affiliate. We're monetized on YouTube. We have a tip jar if you want to support us that way. But we just love having you in the building. And don't forget, we've got a feedback form as well. So if you want to put anything in there, any feedback we take on board, going forward and i forgot to shout out all the guys in twitch as well my apologies mike the marine is in there dan pask is in the building as well mike the marine sent us a highlighted chat playoffs round two one play four or five two plays three detroit at dallas um oh we'll talk about that in a little minute but yeah we're going to the playoffs and it's such a good feeling there and i do have one shout out that matt wanted me to do 
from the stream the other day when Ash and Matt were doing the live reaction to the Cowboys show. Mark LeBay, with a $10 donation to us there, said, thought we played well enough to win this one. Too bad, not a win, but not a bad showing. Happy New Year. So thank you very much for that, Mark. And in that vein, just a nice easy one to you guys here. Happy New Year. Hope you've had a good Christmas. How has how has Christmas been? Have you what Lions presents have we had over Christmas? Let's go with this first. Have you had anything Lions related? I, I think I've I've got everything Lions related, um, down to a, a Detroit snowman on my Christmas tree uh, over the last few years. So this year, nothing. Um, my best present was winning the NFC North. Oh, and and of course, getting to come and talk with us about it as well so you know obviously <laughs> nothing new for you ash from the lions for christmas no unfortunately not no instead i've got an ancient aliens book and stuff like that so oh dear well Remove. i was going to do a little show and tell there i think we've got a lot but i had this arrive this is oh, an yeah, absolute you... beauty so my mother went and got this for me it is a football history of the detroit lions with clippings from the washington post and it goes all the way back to 1935, back when oh, wow. Army were a good college football team, Brent. I knew in the crib. You've got all these bits in there, and it's been so fascinating. And it's it's absolutely wonderful. And, of course, you get to go back and read about the times we won championships and that. So, you know, can't complain about that. All. Anyhow, let's talk lines. We've done that out of the way. So there's a little bit of news to go through first. Dan did his presser about an hour ago. I will let Ash go through that in a moment. But... Let's talk about something a bit more happy in relation to the Detroit Lions first. And let's talk playoffs because indeed we are going to the playoffs this year. And given the result that has happened this weekend, our playoff opposition, our seeding and everything is getting very narrow now to the point where we can paint a picture of what is happening. So Lions currently hold the third seed can't drop to the fourth. Third is the lowest we're going to get. We can still get to the second seed, but that would require three results. The Lions to win against the Vikings this upcoming weekend and upsets by the New York Giants against the Philadelphia Eagles. Although, is that an upset? The run of form they're on? I don't know. And the Washington Commanders against the Dallas Cowboys. If all those three results were to happen, Lions would get the second seed, but odds are it's going to be number three. And we are down to now just two possible opponents for the sixth seed. And I, this is like, for me, this is between a rock and a hard place here. I'm absolutely dreading the thought of this, but it's going to be one of the Green Bay Packers or the LA Rams. And of course, we all know about this. So the Rams currently hold the spot. They will secure the sixth seed with a win against the 49ers this weekend or a Green Bay loss against the Chicago Bears. The Packers need to beat the Bears and they need to hope the Rams lose against the 49ers as well. But, I mean, gents, this... I don't know about you. I mean, you know, the playoffs, you've got to face some tough teams in there. But for your first team, you're going to be at home. It's going to be the Packers who have roasted our asses for a very long time now. Or it's going to be Matthew Stafford and the Rams, which is just going to be one of the biggest storylines, probably the biggest storyline going into playoff season. How nervous are you feeling about this? Are you relishing this? How how do we feel now that our playoff fate is uh, almost sealed? I'm feeling super chilled about it because I think 
the Rams and the Packers. Or, uh, could there's still a scenario we could play the Seahawks possibly? Um, I'm feeling super chilled about all all those. Um, first of all, we've got home field advantage, which is massive. Um, and secondly, I think, and this might be controversial. I think the Bears are going to beat the Packers next week. I I, I just think that the Bears are playing really good football, and I've I've got no. Is it is it at Lambeau or Soldier Field? It's at Lambeau. Yeah, well, Packers I'm beat Bears at Soldier at the start of the season. I, I think the Bears, are, like, I think the Bears are going to be really up for it. Like, you know, we know Iberflus is, like, fighting for his job. Fields is fighting for his position as, you know, QB1. Um, and, you know, them not drafting a, another quarterback. So I think the Bears are going to be going full tilt for that. And I think they've got a really good chance of winning. Um, and also, like, none of them scare me. Um, the Rams, you know, I've are, are, got a couple of weapons, but... Are very beatable, um, and and also like we've no idea what's going to happen with San Francisco or the Rams because it doesn't really help the Rams winning another game. So the Rams they're pretty much tied into the six. They they're not going to catch uh, the Cowboys or the Eagles in five. So the Rams could rest half their roster. Um, so I'm I think we're we're going to end up playing the Rams, um, and maybe we get into like roster chat about what we do. Um, against the Vikings in terms of the roster, maybe we'll touch on that later. So I don't. So Ash, I don't know if you feel any different to this, but I mean, in terms of like playoff narratives, especially playoff narratives, if we were to lose, I mean, these are probably the two worst teams we could come up against. That the NFC North bully for many a year, like they're the ones you've got to put away. Or Matthew Stafford, like if he gets his first playoff win in Detroit. As a Ram, we are never going to hear the end about this ever. It is going to be one of these two scenarios more than likely. Are, are you as melancholy as Steve about this, or are you like me where you're like, I just don't like what happens if we lose? Yeah, I'm on the what I don't like what happens if we lose, but also I don't like the potential of what happens if you win. The NFL script writers have set up the NFC perfectly for a load of narratives. So obviously. If we do face the Rams, it'll be Matthew Stafford returning home. Can Detroit win their first playoff game uh, in over 30 years? And if we beat that, we're more than likely going to go on the road to Dallas. And then the other side of it's going to be a rematch of last year's NFC Championship game with all the controversy there. So they've set it up perfectly for them to be a great divisional round. If we win, Dallas wins. And, and that's how it sets up. So... I'm dreading it because me and you both live on Twitter. We live and die by our narratives and our takes. So it'd be horrific for us if we lose. But at the same time, if we win and we conquer those narratives, it just makes it all that sweeter. Like, yeah, Green Bay roasted us in, uh, at Thanksgiving. But the three times before we played them before that, we beat them. They are beatable. Yes, Jordan loves heating up and he's actually looking somewhat like a competent quarterback now, which is kind of scary, but... The rest of that team is banged up. Christian Watson, Romeo Dubes are constantly out. So is Tavian Wicks. Their wide receiver court is supposed to be really good. Banged up. AJ Dillon still can't do anything. Aaron Jones, I haven't heard anything about for a good couple of weeks. And that defense is still uh, coached by Joe Barry. So it's going to have weaknesses. And in the Rams, yeah, it's got Stafford and you've got Donald and you've got Puka and you've got Cook. 
And you've got Kyron Williams, who's doing some good things. But again, the rest of that roster is not that good. The O-line is not what it was when Goff was there. The defense is no longer loaded with superstars like Jalen Ramsey, Von Miller, all this. They're also beatable. So for us, the chance is there to end these narratives. And then, as like I say, 2024, make it the year of the Lion. We conquer all these narratives and then we come into next year. Even if we lose in like the divisional round against the Cowboys, we've got that monkey off our back of winning a playoff game. We can go into next year with a slightly improved NFC North with the Bears having Nard being locked into the number one pick. They probably will trade that away for Caleb Williams because a field has actually looked kind of okay. They can load up on some talent. Vikings, if they get Kirk back, they might be okay. Green Bay, obviously, they've got a load of first-round talent on that defence and they've got the chance to maybe get a couple of O-line pieces to fix that. It could be a fairly competitive NFC North next year, but we'll still be the best of it. So it's just start creating our own narratives now instead of being the ones the narratives against create our own. So next year when we play Green Bay, it'll be like, if we beat them in the playoffs, it'll be like, wow, they beat them in crunch time a few times now. Are the Packers finally done? Is it the new dynasty in the NFC North? If we beat the Rams, we get that monkey off our back. It's win-win either way if we win. But I think, I don't know what you think about this, Ant, but like it's it's all about our our mentality going to the playoffs. And if we go into the, the wild card, you know, we've won the division. We've been one of the in in top seeding. You know, one of the top seeds in the NFL for several weeks now. And if we go in with the mentality, oh God, we have to play like a really weak team, like we're screwed. Like we need to go into the playoffs thinking, okay, if we're going to win the Super Bowl, we're probably going to need to beat the Ravens. Maybe the or maybe the Bills and the 49ers. We can't be there like pissing our pants about you know Green Bay um, at Ford Field or the Rams at Ford Field. We have to think it's people like you know the Ravens and the 49ers that are in our you know in our sights, and we've got to be able to win those kind of games. So let's just not spend the next two weeks just wetting our pants about two very bang average teams. Oh, That's you know, like my this, view. This, this Campbell team, they don't think like us. They will take whoever. They will take on a roster of 53, like, androids who are perfectly perfected to play the game and who can't lose. They will go out there and want to beat them. It's just, for me, yeah, I just want this to be, like, for us, this is us rebuilding, like, from, from the beginning. Like, winning the NFC North is such a big thing for us. I want to enjoy it. I want to go into the off-season hearing about how Matthew Stafford's want to play. That's it for me. I'm just, I want this upward trend to continue. I don't want to, and I don't want to say, oh, the Packers still own you and stuff like that, because it'll make the NFC North feel empty if they beat us in the playoffs. But of course, you've got to go and do it. So it's just for me, they're like the two teams I really wouldn't want. Hopefully we can smack one of them and then the NFC South participant, whoever that might be, can beat the Eagles and then we get them. Who knows? There could be a lot of fun scenarios in play, but yeah, that is everything in terms of playoffs. If we get the second seed, we can still play about five or six teams. We will not focus on that now. We will move on, and before we go into the game itself, Dan hosted a press conference about an hour ago. Uh, I'll hand this one over to Ash because he's watched this, so anything of any note that he said regards, I think it was only the Jameson Williams injury, but anything else come out of that? Um, roughly, well, roughly, obviously, at the JMO the update, JMO is day to day with an ankle sprain, I believe it is, but it's not serious. He should be okay. And the port is all good because supposedly, I think it was Carl Menicky tweeted 
after the game that uh, Laporte was hobbling up the locker room. He's completely fine, so we should be able to deal with him. He did also say, though, they would like to get CD Juice, Aleem, and Jason Kabinda on the field this week. He mentioned Kabinda, despite Kabinda not even in by the roster. So that means we're probably going to sign him to the practice squad this week, and he's going to be called up for the game. Well, that's an interesting wrinkle, especially since I know, obviously, we were a bit confused when we initially signed him off IR and then released him. Seemed a bit confusing. It's even more confusing now because we seem to be bringing him back for a practice squad spot. So who's going to go off that? Is it going to be a young talent that we might want to keep hold of? Because we've well, quite a lot of teams' seasons ending next week. They can start signing those futures contracts. The sort of highlight for us the past couple of years in playoff week was seeing which practice squaders and which free agents were getting the futures contracts. As can be other teams now, and they might be able to get some good talent off us for that. But other than that, it's obviously the, the biggest discussion point was the thing we'll come on to later at the end of the game. And Campbell just summed it up. I think the team's be- uh, mentality at best. I've got controlled fury. That's all we can ask for the team, I guess. Because we're bit, as we'll, we'll discuss it to death later, the two points. So I'll bring up the stuff he says there then. But that was the driving point for the conference. Because that's the big talking point right now. Oh uh, yeah, oh don't worry, we've got a section ready for ref bashing today, <laughs> but we're going to try and separate that and talk about the game, because actually I quite enjoyed the game in, in, you know, take that little bit out of it, I was having a jolly good time watching that, so we will focus on that, but the question has been asked and might want me to leave it to later, but you've just mentioned it in the chat there, so Mike Marine asks, who are we dropping for the three guys who are coming back, potentially if we do, so we've got to include Kabinda as well, so... Who do we reckon? Three guys to make way for these three. Any any ideas, any thoughts on to who they might be? It's sad to say because, again, this is some people had faith in, in the off, uh, the uh, preseason. Anton Green has it's been a healthy scratch. Gilly has been a healthy scratch. And then someone like Benito or someone like that, or help even Levi, because these guys aren't really getting that many snaps. And they're obviously on the 53. So those three for the ones comes to 53 and then on the practice squad, God knows. It'll be it could be a crap, it's a crap shoot on there. It could be someone like Michael Schofield who just re-signed this week. It could be someone else. But yeah, I think the, the guy just look at who's been healthy scratches. Even Julian, which I know will make some people happy. Actually, yeah, it's fair. Julian makes the most sense for Houston because that's like for like. So Julian for Houston, Gilly for CD Juice, and then for Aleem, I don't know. Um Let's say Benita, uh, Levi. I would just caveat that I'm never happy when a player gets cut, but he is he he's there. He's missed three of the last four now, Julian has, which is a problem. Steve, is there anyone you'd add to the list um to accommodate these three guys? No, I, th- I think um Ash is about in the right ballpark there. Uh, I don't think we'd drop Benito Jones. Um I mean, they've been pretty creative about how they've moved roster spots, so I don't think it will necessarily be like for like. Okay, no worries. Yeah, uh, right. He did ask another question as well. Let me just see if we can take this on before we go. Uh, did Jamo hurt his ankle during the celebration runaround? No, Jamo hurt his ankle on that big play, didn't he? The big catch yeah, he had. Catch. Yeah, the big catch. You could see. Um... Dr. Liao for the LP tweeted a bit during the game. You can see him as he's making the catch, he sort of bent his right ankle a bit. And I suppose it's a lower ankle sprain on that side that's going to be day to day, just ice, breast it up kind of thing. He should be fine. So yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about this now while we're just talking about like roster and who might be getting some game time next week. But 
What do you think about resting some of our starters for the game against the Vikings? All right. Well, again, I'll, I'm going to save this, but we've got the question. So Mike again asks, who are you resting in next week's game if there's going to be anybody? Um, I'll put me two pence in to start with. I think for me, it's just guys who have injury concerns. I would consider resting Frank, given his toe, yeah. and put Glasgow at centre and maybe bring Colby in for some needed reps, get some guys in there. Maybe Taylor, dependent, use skip, move Penne over. Outside of that, guys who may be injured. If J-Mo's day-to-day, I don't think I'd risk J-Mo. I'd want him fully yeah. healthy. Um, but outside of that, if they are first-teamers and they are fully healthy, I want them to play. I don't want them to go in cold. NFL season's short and you can soon get out of shape. But anyone else you guys would add? Would you do the whole first team? I don't know what your thoughts. Sit Goff in a sec. If we're up in, uh, going in half-time, t- I'm sitting Goff. I'm putting Teddy in. Getting him. Hell, uh, on my even... If you really want to be protective of Goff, make him a healthy scratch going into the game as the third QB thing. Use the third QB thing to still have him around just in case injuries happen and we need to come in, but have Teddy as QB1 and then Hooker as QB2 coming into the game. Because then you could you, you don't then have to risk, well, you won't have to have injury then to have Hooker come and get some snaps. If we're, let's say, with 10 points up with five minutes left to go in the fourth, and we have a drive, we can put Hooker in, get him some actual game experience to see what a tiny bit of what we've got and see what we can do with his mobility just to give Ben an idea, maybe bringing up some packages for him. Because one of the things that me and Matt keep saying, um, especially on the previews, and that is we could maybe use Hooker kind of like how the Saints use Taysom Hill in a way, like just get him in a sort of as a wildcat guy, get him running the ball, doing some things, it's stuff like that. I mean, I, I think we should be really, really ruthless about this. No one is going to care if we win our last game against the Vikings, if we like get a playoff win. Um, and it's Bridgewater's last game because I think he's retiring after this, um, obviously playing against his old team. I'd start him. And, you know, if he does okay, keep him in. Um, if he's an absolute disaster, then maybe bring Goff back in. But I'd start Bridgewater because, you know, the one thing that's going to derail us more than anything is Goff going down. Um, when you look at the snap count that Hutch has had over the season, I'd probably give Hutch a rest. Um, I mean, Hutch had his best game for me um, on on Saturday, but you know it wouldn't hurt, I think, to to give Hutch a rest and get him like really fresh. Um, I mean, you know, like absolute tanks like Amon Ra, I don't think would appreciate the rest. But yeah, anyone with a niggle, definitely Frank and Taylor. Um, yeah, I, why risk them? Because I don't think we're going to get the second seed and I don't think there's anything to be gained. And also, like, if someone does go down with injury before the playoff game, then it's good to give the second-tier guys, like, you know, some some uh, reps. I don't know. I feel like the ideal scenario for me is to rest a few, but if you can get a couple of scores up early against the Vikings and then just start bringing people out. But I think... I agree that these fringe guys, like Gilmore, who's not played, Broderick, who's not played much, hell, even Julian and Charles Harris and guys like that, I think you have to give them big snaps in this because you've got to see if they can give you anything going into the playoffs and you've got to get them ready. I agree. I would drop Hutcher snaps to a minimum. Dude's played so much this year and it's like he's really had a load put on him 
And, you know, we had a great game this week. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but I think he might benefit from a little bit there. So I'd do a little bit of everything here. I wouldn't go full on it. You've got to respect the Vikings. And, of course, you want to win, but there is a bit to be done there. So, yeah. Anyhow, let's talk about the game itself. We, we've got to get into it eventually, and we, we've got to start ref-hating a little bit. But, I mean, maybe not the game we expected coming in. Two high-octane offences, team who scores 40 at home on average. Our offence, which we know is damn well good. Detroit 19, Dallas 20 in a battle of the defensive sides of the ball, which maybe we didn't see coming, but an absolutely brutal affair in this one, especially for the quarterbacks who were in it of a lot. But in terms of inactives on the day, so for the Lions, Hendon Hooker quarterback, Antoine Green wide receiver, Brock Wright tight end, Broderick Martin and Levi on the defensive line, Julian at linebacker and Stephon Gil Stephen Gilmore, good Lord, I keep calling him Stephon at cornerback. For the Cowboys, no Trey Lance, he's their emergency third QB. Rico Dowdle at running back, the tackles are seeing Richards, Matt Waletsko, both were dealing with injuries. Jonathan Hankins, their defensive tackle, and a couple of corners, Noah Igboene and Eric Scott there. Um, as sort of always and how Matt does this, I'm trying to keep it true to uh, to how he gets on with all this. But just first before we start off, and let's keep the ref thing to one side here because we will just unload on them later. But what were your high-level takes of the game sort of coming out of it? What what, what were you feeling? What, what were your high-level aspects of this, guys? Um, for me, um, I think we've learned a, a really important lesson here, and that is in the playoffs, just like at the top level of any sporting competition, it is, it's all about moments. It's all about opportunities. It's all about two or three plays, two or three, like, you know, flashes of action that make or break the game that decide it. Um, because... When you're in the playoffs, you've, you're playing really high-level teams. It's going to be intense, and it's going to be really, really close all the way through. There's very rarely like a blowout, um, and that's how the game was. And for me, there were two things that that turned the game, um, and it was the nine-point swing between Derek Barnes taking down Dak for a safety, um, and him completing the pass um, for the CD Lamb. Was it ninety-two yard touchdown? Yeah, for me that was the biggest moment of the game, um, and I would say the second biggest um, thing in the game was I think the Cowboys had seven tackles for losses, and this was a game when our O line, which is you know no no doubt one of the top five O lines in the league, um, but we got out you know we got out schemed, um, and Dan Quinn. Um, did his thing and there were several times when our O-line was like embarrassed and it stopped our run game a bit. Um, and I thought Demo and Gibbs were brilliant that they, you know, they ripped off some really good plays, but unfortunately for every 15, 20 yard run, there was like a tackle for the two, three yard loss. And that disrupted the flow of our offense. We were too reliant on Goff, too reliant on the passing. And what happens when we're too reliant on Goff? Bad things. And Goff starts to sweat and throw picks. And and that's kind of what, what cost us the game. The Barnes miss and the tackles for losses. 
Yeah, it's and literally my point was to build right. We'll build perfect after that tough losses. We're playing. A, we were playing a defense that up front, especially in the linebacker room, with one of their two line uh, side linebackers being converted safety. It's reliant on speed. It's speed over power. So what do we do? We do? We played a lot of long developing run uh, styles that allowed them just to flow right to the ball. And as soon as we got the ball to the running back, they're getting tackled. We played into their hands as we were in the game early, especially in that first half. There was, and Matt would come back me up here because obviously he was literally watching. My, there was points where I just had my head in my hands because you could see we were going to do another trap style thing where Laporte was going to come across the formation. And usually that went well, but because we're playing against a fast flowing style up front, it wasn't going to work and I could just have my head in my hands. And luckily for us, when we came out of time, we made an adjustment. We went more to the power-based stuff, the gap stuff that would do well. Didn't, didn't fuck around as much. And it worked. We got some big runs. I don't I like, as much as we like to praise Ben Johnson, he probably still will get coaching interviews. He was the worst of the two coordinators, uh, uh, the, uh, the three coordinators yesterday. Because this was not a good audition for a head coach role, was it? Exactly, yeah. It's really not That's... like because Glenn out Glenn, Glenn for the most part scheming was perfect. As we there was obviously the big touchdown, but there's some mitigating factors were there. Possibly we held them pretty well. We held a team that averages thirty nine point nine points at home this season to twenty. That's really damn good. And then obviously once we get to in a bit, Dave Fip pulled out the perfect play at the perfect time to keep some momentum going. That play, I, so good. <laughs> I'm trying to see where the hole in your roof is because I imagine you went through it when they pulled that off. Like, oh, yeah. I bet, like, the oh. first thing you think of special teams is, yeah, Ash, well, like, that'll be in this Hall of Fame, that will. He, he loves that. But this is where I'm at after this one, and it is kind of a continuation on that. It's like at the start of the season, and for the most part, with the offense, it's been up here. And with the defense, it's down here, and this is how I've thought about it. But now... It's here because the defense seems to be getting better and adjusting. And outside of some big chunk plays, as we've mentioned, they were damn good. They kept them to below three yards a carry in the run, which is great because it means they got to throw it. And after a few balls ups, you know, that is that is the problem. But the offense, we know what it can do. Why is it so cold for so long? Like, it... It looked great on the first drive. I'm thinking, oh, here we go. We're going to see some stuff today. You know, unfortunate stop. You're going to get that. And then it went cold. And then for so long, the defense kept holding out. And you're thinking they're going to get away from us eventually. But they didn't. The defense kept going and going and going and making takeaways. And I genuinely don't know where I'm at now. It's like they're here. And well, one's I, I, trending I, I... negatively. One's trending positively. It's like that's not good. At this point, they want to be going in lockstep up together. If the offense is still here and the defense is here, like that is a Super well, Bowl team. I think the the thing is, I would say our defense has was somewhere down near my nether regions and has come Steven. up. Our offense is kind of like here, but our red zone offense is here, and that's the difference. It's because in terms of get getting up the field, we were consistently able to do it, and you know third fourth down conversions you know there was some life in it but the red zone offense that was terrible and you know like i think when when jmo made that big catch i think he like did he get to like the te the eight ten yard line 
Yeah, was, I just yeah. had no confidence that we were going to punch that in. And the frustration thing is we've got David Montgomery, who is one of the best running backs in the NFL at punching it in from short yardage. But instead, four times. We were, yeah, we were dicking about with short passes. It, it is a one. I was like, when he threw that pass to J-Mo, I'm like, where the hell's that going? Like, that's not going to change. That thing just disappeared like a rocket. It was a wonderful pass. But I, I agree, it's it's just stagnant for too long. If they were working in lockstep together, we'd have been 20 points clear at halftime, like, genuinely. And, and we weren't. But the execution's also concerning me as well. It's like, I know you guys will have noticed it, but how many unblocked blitzes they had at our run like the guys never stood a chance and you're like why again like all the time you're you're running backs back in the ice so far behind the line of scrimmage he's barely making it to the quarterback before he's getting hit and you're like we don't make mistakes like this earlier in the season we were executing this stuff to a incredibly high level and now do you know what is it i don't the thing i don't understand about the red zone just going back to just finishing up on that is we've got Montgomery, we've got Laporta, who's got great hands, and we've got St. Brown, who's got great hands in those situations. So we've got three of the best red zone options, but we just seemed unable to kind of utilise them. And f- for me, that was, cr- you know, that's got to be on Ben Johnson. Yeah. What, what do you guys that... think? It's tough. I don't... Yeah, it's... So I, can't, I think it was Pride of Detroit was listening to their recap of it and they theorised that when we get into that sort of goal and go situations, there's just not enough space for everything we like to do. It just really restricts our playbook. But even as, but as you say, there is ways of scheming it up. Like as we saw at the end, like we saw at the end, we do have plays for those sort of short yardage stuff. It's just they rely on like everybody getting the execution right and it has to be like the first read has to catch the ball otherwise things go wrong and yeah it's something we need to work on because we can't just keep scoring long touchdowns from 20 yards plus out we need to be consistent in the red zone because that's where things will go that's what you need to do in the playoffs you need to convert as many opportunities as you can if we get into the red zone we need to score touchdowns at least because I've not field goals I've, I've pulled it up in the meantime the drive chart for that cut get uh, that drive where we had the massive passes to Gay James and Williams. From then on, we gained uh, seven yards. We got a uh, two uh, Gibbs end of uh, left end run for minus two yards. Uh, Amaron got nine back. Miss pass to Gibbs, delay a game, try and get him offside, and then we kicks a field goal. We had momentum then coming out the, into the fourth quarter, and it was 10-10. We had the chance to really put a foot in there and throw it, and it just stalls out after one good play. I mean, if, if we're first in goal from like the eight yard line and we've got David Montgomery, give it to Montgomery four times. Yeah. And I, I would, you know, I would bet that he would get into the end zone. But what we were doing was we we're putting like Gibbs in the shotgun and then immediately Gibbs loses like three yards tackle for loss. And then all of a sudden, like we're screwed. Exactly. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't know. There's just a lot of questions to be answered, I think, for me at the minute. And, you know, thankfully we've got this. We can almost use this as a tune-up game this weekend, I think, to get fancy and try and get some of this stuff out there. But anyway, let's go through the box scores first, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the offense and the defense. So box scores on the day when I get them. So 
for Detroit, Jared Goff, 19 of 34, 271 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Jalen Reeves may have been one on one for 31 yards, pass a rating of 118.8. Go JRM. The Detroit rushing attack. David Montgomery, 14 carries, 65 yards at 4.6 per click and a rushing touchdown. Jameer Gibbs, 15 for 43, just 2.9 for him. Amon Ra had one carry for 11 yards. Jamo had one carry for six yards, which threatened to break into a touchdown, but not quite. Receiving-wise, Amon Ra, six receptions, 90 yards, one touchdown. Sam Laporta, seven receptions, 84 yards, as he continues to break hearts and break records. Jamo had two catches for 69 yards. Khalil Dorsey... Cornerback Khalil Dorsey, fourth best receiver on the day with one reception for 31 yards. Josh Reynolds had a catch for 13, Khalif for 11, and James Mitchell, one for four. Jameer Gibbs had one, but it was for nothing there. On the defense, Cameron Sutton, we're going to talk about him. He led the way, 10 total tackles, one tackle for loss. We had eight tackles for loss on the day. Alex Anzalone had one, Hutch had four as well as three sacks. Kindle, Vildor and Derek Barnes both had one as well. Um, and then moving on to Dallas's side, Dak, 26 of 38, 345 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Um, Tony Pollard, 16 carries, 49 yards, only went at three yards per carry. C.D. Lamb had one for five. Dak and Deuce Vaughn both had two carries for seven yards between them. They had 21 carries, 61 yards on the day. That's 2.9 yards. Absolutely destroyed that. In the receiving game, however, C.D.'s nuts, 13 receptions, 227 yards and a touchdown. Brandon Cooks had five for 60 and a touchdown. Jake Ferguson, tight end extraordinaire, had four for 33. Juice Vaughn had one for 10. Jalen Tolbert, one for nine. Hender shot the tight end, one for six. They had 345 yards in the air on the day. And on defense for them, as we mentioned, they had seven tackles for loss as well. One from Marquise Bell, two from Mick Parsons, two from Demarcus Lawrence. Dorrance Armstrong got one as well. So did Dante Fowler Jr. Uh, they also hit Jared Goff seven times as well, as well as just, just one sack on the day from Dorrance Armstrong. But Goff was hammered all over the place. We had three sacks, I must have said. Aiden had them all. We also hit the QB seven times. Aiden had five. So defensive day on there. But anything that sticks out for you guys? Well, let's talk about... Offense first on the day for us. I mean, it was, I don't know. Um, we just didn't get it going in the rushing game. Goff, as you said, struggled in there. A few big plays, but not not vintage Lions offense from us in this one. Yeah, really not. And it's concerning because, I, as I said on the preview, you, usually the Cowboys struggle against our scheme. We saw it a couple of weeks ago with the Bills when they ran the ball like 49 times and absolutely destroyed them on the ground. We should have been able to establish when we both wanted in Gibbs early and rode that because the uh, the Cowboys' defense is designed for pass coverage. They've got a really good back uh, back five and then they've got pass rushers to get after QB to force them into mistakes. And they've got linebackers who can cover t- uh, running backs and tight ends easy. They were designed to stop the pass and yet because of play calling decisions, we couldn't establish it and it yet forced off to have to make 
to start throwing the ball and then and got pressured a bit and he throws a couple of interceptions. Like the first interception definitely came from pressure too early on the screen. He throws it to the intended receiver and it gets jumped by Jordan Lewis. And then the second one was just a really good play by the corner. Like we just set up, we came in the wrong game plan for the first uh, in the first half. And thankfully we kind of managed to adjust in a second and got close to making it work. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've seen some really good stuff from Goff um, in recent weeks and some really accurate throws. But when he's under pressure um, and, you know, when it's just kind of like chaotic at the, the line of scrimmage, that's like Goff at his worst. And, and both picks, I thought, were really, really poor throws. Um, the first pick, he should, he should have just thrown it away. Um, like, he tried to thread the needle like behind the line of scrimmage when the pocket was already collapsing and he just should have just thrown that away. And the second one was just another poor throw. And, and he did, you know, the third poor throw on the second two point attempt. Um, it wasn't Goff's best game, but at the same time, he also made some clutch throws. And when we needed to make a big drive at the end of the fourth quarter, he, he didn't put a foot wrong. So it was kind of like an up and down day for Goff. Um, you know, I, I mean, the fact that Jam- Jameson Williams now is is a threat all the time. And I think that's going to be great for our playoffs. St. Brown, after that, like, one bad game, is right back at it. Laporta had a better game, but just certainly in terms of offer, um, catching, maybe not in terms of blocking. And and I thought Montgomery and Gibbs were, were really good. And, you know, they, they, again, made people miss tackles. They found gaps. But the problem was they were just like sitting ducks for some of those plays where, you know, blocking assignments missed, blitzes coming through. And, and like I said, those tackle for losses just killed us. Because it did, because once our run game is disrupted, it puts the whole office, offense on tilt. And then in terms of the offensive line, so we gave up a sack, seven hits and 12 hurries on the day. So, I mean, Graham Glasgow... Five pressures given up. Jonah Jackson, two quarterback hits, two pressures. Frank gave up the sack, even though I don't remember that. A quarterback hit at a pressure. Penne gave up two pressures on the day. Taylor gave up three. So, I mean, it was a rough outing for the guys there. But, I mean, what do we think? Was this more they schemed very well against them or was this the O-line yeah. who, who had an off day in regard? Or are we more sort of praising Dallas for that? Mix of both. Mix of both. So usually Parsons lines up over the right tackle. They made the good decision for them at least of lining him up more over Decker. And it showed, especially on that last drive, as we'll get uh, get into it, then we'll come into what happened at the end of it later. The only time that Parsons lined up over the left tackle was on that two-point conversion. Every other time they lined up up against Saul and Saul held him pretty much in check. It's whoever Decker was facing got some work and whoever... Unfortunately, whoever was going up against our guards and Jonah and Graham, they really had bad days yesterday. And it's making that guard situation look a lot more desperate as we come into the offseason because we rely on our uh, we rely on our O-line and to have weak, relatively weak spots at our guard spot, uh, two of our guard spots now. We knew right guard is going to be an issue coming into the offseason with both Graham and Vitae out of contract and Sawstall looking okay for his draft pedigree, but maybe not a starting guard going into next year. Now that left guard situation looks a lot worse because 
before the season, we would have been happy to sign Jonah to extension. Right now, with some of the injuries, uh, with him obviously missing a few games, that brings his price tag down. And in his bad performance the past couple of weeks, like he's had a really bad month and a bit, it's really made that also look like a need going into the off-season now. Yeah, I didn't think Glasgow played too badly. I know he, he had one stupid penalty, um, but Jackson didn't look great. Jackson looked like the weak link like all the way through that game. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I tend to believe it. So I think they scheme really well against us. They put a lot of pressure on, and I think it just overwhelmed them. Parts. But let's flip it to our defence, because we'll do it all with us. And, I mean, we can only talk good things here, right, guys? Because, again... Like, they put Goff under pressure. We did put Dak under pressure. Again, eight tackles for loss on the day. Hutch was absolutely superb. So he graded at just under 88. He had three sacks, two quarterback hits, a hurry, two tackles, five run stops, a forced fumble. Dude did everything on the day. But as I say, the big, beefy guys in the interior kept them down to 2.9 yards per carry. You know, we're seeing the emergence of Kindle Vildor, in the backfield out of, you know, against all the odds there. And Barnes, I know for the big miss we talked about, that outside of that, had a very clean game, but they made stop after stop after stop. Iffy is continuing his hot streak, another pick for him. Like, for as bad as we can say, you know, they schemed against us. I mean, what Aaron Glenn did in this game, it was it was just superb. And to a man, apart from one guy who we'll talk about, for the most part, everybody else did an absolutely stunning job in this one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know which guy you're referring because there's two in my mind. But the weird thing is, one of those guys that I was looking to have a go at was also our second highest graded defender because after they made one really stupid decision with their arms, they played pretty damn well the rest of the game. But it's just because that one decision they made, they decided not to use their arms when making a play. It co- it cost us something big, and unfortunately, that's a bit worrying. But yeah, like I was happy pretty much for the most part. If he has any as any Lions DB had a good a good this uh, month as if he's had in December, like it seems that as soon as the Christmas carols come on and Mara Carey and Michael Bublé defrosted out the freezer and singing their songs, if he just turns it on and it just it must be like the sort of repressive nature of like all I want for Christmas is you and or uh, and that just wakens a beast in him because he just woke up. He's gone from in the off season. Can, the candidates not even make the 53 of the practice squad to now being, and it pains me to say, I've said it on the live stream, next, uh, this uh, in the playoffs, we've got CJGJ back. It's him and if he's starting at centre, uh, safety, I'm only bringing in Kirby on passing downs because if he has played out of his mind these past couple of weeks. Steve's favourite phrase, you ride the hot hand. Um, exactly. But, I mean, defence-wise, Steve, what or who stood out for you in this one? Because obviously this was... Maybe because I think I tweeted this at some point. This is the best Lions defensive display I've seen in years. Like not just this season, but in years, it just looks so crisp and clean. But you know, what did you think of the defense in this one? Um, I mean, as you know, I've I've been not one of Aaron Glenn's biggest fans, but this was definitely like one of our best sort of two or three games of the season, um, in terms of defense because we did scheme really well. Um, I mean. I, th- I think, first of all, this was Aiden Hutchinson's best game of the season. He was, like, absolutely outstanding. The spin move for the third sack was just, like, a thing of absolute beauty. That's, like, got to be one of the highlights of the year. Um, 
and like Hutch was all over the place. Um, and yeah, I, I think the front seven played like really well. Um, we kind of pretty much shut down their run game. They kind of went back to it later on um, and had a bit of success, but still, you know, we, we were all over them when it, in, in terms of the run game. Um, Hutch was all was after Dak all night and, and really put him under pressure. You know, the, but it, it's a secondary. And I mean, like, as, as I said, like last week and probably the week before, Cam Sutton isn't CB1. He's a pretty decent CB2. And you put him up against a Justin Jefferson or a CD Lamb and very bad things happen. And, you know, what? What? how many yards did Lamb get? 180, 190? 200. Try to 226. I, I mean, that's like unforgivable. Uh, if you want to win a playoff game, you cannot afford to let their wide receiver one get 200 yards. Um, and... You know, Sutton looked like he was like um, roller skating on marbles for a lot of the game. He seemed to like lose his footing um, a couple of times. If he great interception, but he got burned. I think on the Cooks touchdown. I think. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. He did. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, you, you know, like. You, you just have to have the you just have to be able to shut down the passing game because in any fourth quarter of any NFL game you know there's always like an air raid in the last five six minutes um, and you have to be stop the two minute drill and if you can't protect like you know your secondary it, it was just really really disappointing to see that Sick because I think CD Lamb is one of the top three or four receivers in the league, but he's not like a Calvin Johnson good. Like he's good, but he's not like out of this world good. He, we've seen him shut down by people. We have seen people cover him. We were just nowhere near him. So yeah, so Cam gave up nine of nine for 113 yards. That is what he's officially credited with. But that that will that was my sort of one negative point. I know Ash has got another, but I mean the money we're paying him the form's got to get better soon, surely, because it seems to have been gradually declining lately. I mean, the one thing I would say about Cam is that big play that he, he lost his foot in in the first half. And I think Jefferson, um, CeeDee Lamb ripped off about 40 yards. But after losing his foot in, um, CeeDee Lamb cuts inside if he misses a tackle. And then it's actually Sutton that runs back and brings him down. So, you know... The guy's trying. The guy is really, really trying. He, he gives everything in the game. And I'm not going to criticise him um, because I think he's a good player, but he's a CB too. And we absolutely have to either draft or my preference in free agency, we need to target one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL who are in free, free agency. We absolutely have to bring him in. So who's the other guy you wanted to put up on? I know you said you had a couple that you sort of had a bugbear with on defence, Ash. It was only one play, but unfortunately, it was the big play. Derek Barnes, why did you forget you have arms, my dude? Like, and you used to be a former pass rusher, as I keep mentioning every week with this guy. Former pass rusher at Purdue. If, if I'm all our linebackers, he should know how to sack a quarterback. And yes, he decided to try and shoulder check him. And look what happened. Admitted, okay, yes, as we're getting too later with the Zebras. Missed, massive missed hold, uh, holding call on that play. 
you yeah. had a chance to bring down Dak before he could get away and you didn't. And it caused that. And look, I respect him hell of a much. And I said it on the live stream. Afterwards, he bounced back and he made plays. The next drive, I think it was the second down, he gets a tackle for a loss on the screen. He took it and he went, used the rest of the game. He played well and he was our second highest paid defender. But when you've got a chance to make a play like that and you don't, it causes that. Because I know some people say it's an eight-point swing technically because obviously it went from us scoring two points to them scoring six with a touchdown. It's an eight-point swing. With hindsight, obviously hindsight is 20, 20 and all that, that would have been it. That would have easily won us the game. Oh, that, that's the, that is the game. That's the game yeah. right there. Yeah, no, th- there are a lot of circumstances the game goes on, but I get you there. Anyhow, we'll move it on. We'll talk about Tex- Texas, Dallas a little bit, and then we'll go into the sort of the through the game recap, and then we'll talk about the guys after. But I mean, Dallas's offense, you know, we've mentioned it already. You know, this is a team that scores 40 points at home, it is explosive. You've got Lamb, you've got Cooks, you've got all these guys. And like I said, they were limited. The 61 yards on the ground on the day, 345 through the air, admittedly, but that's because they had to pass the ball. You've got the the big 90-yard play in there as well. So if you take that out, you've got 25 receptions for 240 yards, which is not too bad on the screen things. But what did you guys make of this offense? Because we heard all about it, how great it was. They won all these games at home, 15 in a row now, I think it is. And I thought we did wonderfully in nullifying it for the most part. It was just plays, like the one yard play, the one Steve mentioned, the 40-yard play. There were big chunks, but I thought outside of that, I thought we pressured Dak. I thought Dak struggled to find guys a lot of the time. The run game didn't help him at all. I was, I felt disappointed by what they bought up, but I think that's down to Aaron Glenn more than them just sort of having a bad day at the office, but they, they struggled to put yards on us outside these big plays. The Cowboys are not going to be in the Super Bowl this year. Like, no way with with that kind of offense because it's C.D. Lamb. And, you know, there's going to be a cornerback that they're going to hit. I mean, like, say if they play the, if they end up playing the Ravens in, in the Super Bowl, um, if they get that far, I mean, the Ravens have got plenty of talent in their secondary that will nullify C.D. Lamb. Um, but, you know, it, it is all CD Lamb. That that is their offense. The run game never got going. Um, and I mean, Dak's good. You know, I mean, Dak didn't throw. He, he threw obviously that one pick, but there were plenty of times when he was under a lot of pressure, particularly from like the left side with Hutch. And you know, he he didn't throw a stupid pick. Um, he threw the ball away when he needed to. He sensed the pressure was coming. Um, so, you know, outside of that, they've got very little. What did you make of the, the Dallas offense actually on the day? Yeah, it was just the Lamb show. Like, literally, um, as someone pointed out in the chat, um, it was uh, Big Airy 70 pointing out he had 17 targets. 17. Everyone else added up for an, admittedly another 20. But when Lamb is nearly half the targets and basically two thirds of the passing yards, it tells you everything you need to know. Even interception, if you made it, obviously make a great play to talk about defense, but Lamb was wide open and he's literally there like waving for the ball. If he sees that and times his run perfectly to intercept it, that could have been another big play if he's just slightly off of that timing. That's another big play where they've converted a big thing. It was just a thing and it, again, it was again with the big play that they got the 92-yard touchdown. We did a hell of a job when they were in like third and, uh, third, like from third and five shorter as soon as they got into sort of third and longs, 
Lamb was just able to find a hole in the zone or just get a bit of separation for Rebs and and converted. That's what it was. It's just one of the top five, three. Well, hell, you think Lamb this year has been a top two receiver in the yeah. league, just yeah, making I... plays. And that's the problem with our defences, especially uh, just with the cornerback tank we have. Even despite just investing in it in this offseason, we just have a load of cornerback twos or cornerback threes. Like Jerry is a it should be it should be a cornerback two, cornerback three. Sutton should be that. And yet we could because of that, we can't defend Ward. See, once it's been a trend all this all this season, not just with Lamb, but with Jefferson last week, with DJ Moore in both games, with Keenan Allen, with DK uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett uh, uh, early in the season. We go up against like these top 15, 20 wide receivers. We have to we give up big yards to them, but the encouraging thing is, in a way, to sort of spin it, make a positive spin of it. We have in the past couple of weeks sort of got away with it, where we've allowed these big these receivers to get all this yardage, but they haven't got many touchdowns, and we've restricted the other passing weapons. So it has they have to be one dimensional in the past game, which makes it easier for us to make plays on the ball, and that's why we've been getting these turnovers, which is making the defense better because they're getting off the field, they get breathers, and it's just a spiral from there. But it isn't real agree. We do have to invest on in the off season, and I'll probably come on to it later. And while the discussions of 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 I have to disagree with Steve, it's probably going to have to come through the draft because this year's free agent cornerback class is not good at all. It's a load of veteran guys who will be worth a lot. Basically, more Cam Suttons, but older. We need to go for a young guy, and I'm sure in the months to come, people want to tune in because we will be looking at the cornerbacks because there is some damn good ones in this class. Hell, we just, just need to, to find three more Kindle Vildos and then we're good. Oh, yeah, true. Like, <laughs> but, <laughs> true. Just to kind of like one, just one note of kind of like for Aaron Glenn though, you know, we, we know we don't have a CB1. We know we've got these guys that are like CB2, CB3, but there are some defensive players. I believe they're called safeties. And yeah. isn't the idea with the safety that, you know, that's when you you double a man, you put a safety on, you know, tracking CD Lamb, and so many times someone someone says in the chat, why was Kid Kindle Vildor one on one with with Lamb for that ninety two yard play? Like there was that that was just one instance, but there were many many instances where Lamb was left to go, you know, one on one, and you know, like by this time the guy's got 100, 150 yards. Surely this is the point when Aaron Glenn makes an adjustment and just says to one of the safeties, I want you on him as well. We did. He did. So that one, um, so for example, the there was one of the big third downs. He was literally triple covered. He had um, Sutton, uh, Ify and Kirby all in the facility and he just made a big, uh, great play. Oh, Unfortunately, that. That, that was sort yeah, big time. Exactly. Yeah, that the, it's, it's just It's just one of them where we were doing it but because he's such a good receiver, he was just able to find that little bit of separation between the two. It's just one of them where, unfortunately, he was stuck because either we were trying to be using him to get set, uh, pressure like we were with Ify, or we were trying to put him in coverage. And it just, Elam and Dak just had that sort of chemistry where they could find the perfect hole to get through that coverage, unfortunately. It's not like... But it, I think it is something he has improved over the season because, yeah, four or five no. weeks ago, he wasn't doing that at all. He was trusting him to be one-on-one. And it's something he's adjusted, especially with Kirby. With if he coming in and being the blitzer, Kirby has kind of That's... been used to that. But it's unfortunately this week, I think it was just Lamb made a load of good plays against it. It probably won't surprise me if it was only 50% of the plays he was doubled because we were blitzing someone or because of the coverage, because we we're in zone. But yeah, 
I think we were doubling him and he just was unfortunately just beating it. And for all the chatter about that, we came up against a much better quarterback last week. And I think last week when Mullins was doing it, we were robbing Mullins. We were bringing the Kirby got the pick from, you know, they were playing robber, yeah. weren't they? Soon as it went in the air, they bring the second guy out. But Dak's just a better passer. So I think that there's a balance to be found with this. You've got to find a way to sort of bait the better quarterbacks into making some of those more risky throws when you're one-on-one. So, you know, it'd be good take for them anyhow. But this Dallas team, it's based on its defense quite clearly, is that you have a domineering front line, Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, these guys. And again, as Ash said, you... These linebackers, they hit hard. They're strong. A lot of them are lying that they're linebacker safety hybrid type guys who are great against the run, but they're speedy enough to work well in coverage. And then you've got corners who can take the ball away, which they did twice against us. That, for as much disappointed as I was with the Dallas offense, that defense is as advertised. It's 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 lethal, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Like, and well, yes, being as linebackers, they had a decent day. Miss admittedly. Was more in coverage, but Marquis Bell had a good day. Damone Clark was also good. MSCPFF probably has him in the 60s, but they were here, there, and everywhere getting the stuff. The one big surprise to me on that defense was, and it, like, it might shock people to say, Parsons wasn't the best of their edge rushers. Demarcus Lawrence had a game against us. Yeah. He always seems to. I'm not invoking the previous games he's made big plays against the Sun. But for some reason, Tank Lawrence, when it comes to playing the Lions, just turns it on and looks like one of those edge ones that he was for a couple of years in the league before we got the Bo- uh, Nick Bosa, Parsons, TJ Watt in. He looked like that kind of guy again. Hell, Dante Fowler made big plays against us. Dante Fowler, that's someone who was like Charles Harris, was a fir- like was a bust in fa- uh, Atlanta. He suddenly worked out how to be a good edge rusher. He made plays against the run. Something which he's never been good at. He's been always been a speed rusher. They just that front line just had a day against us. The linebackers were then able to work off that. And then yeah, this uh the corners, especially Jordan Lewis and Donovan Wilson, who the guys have got the picks, they were able just to read our screens and our short yard stuff, which they've always been good at because they're designed to flow to those things, they're designed to flow to the ball as quickly as possible and make plays on it. So they just had it was just I hate to say it, Dan Quinn has really cemented himself as a good defensive coordinator and he might have earned himself another head coaching job somewhere. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree that with that, Ash. Yeah, okay. Right, well, I'll just do a quick recap again. I'll not be to the level Matt does, but we'll go through and talk about the, the pressing points on there. So first quarter starts off, Dallas defer, give the Lions the ball. First drive for us, look pretty good. Goff to Raymond. Um, found early on for a big play. Amon Rossett Brown had a 23-yard gain into Cowboys territory. Montgomery had a run for 11 yards on a third and 11. Got us to near the red zone, but unfortunately the drive did stall out, start of some of those bad run plays that weren't blocked. So Badgley comes in, nails the 41-yard field goal to put us up. Cowboys look really good early as well. C.D. Lamb, the first of many against Cameron Sutton, shook him off, took a 31-yard gain there, and Cowboys were looking dangerous. But then Ifiatu Melifonwu, him who is in such red-hot form at the minute, such a beautiful pick, just absolutely comes in and robs the receiver. I think that was Lamb that he came in, he chopped in front of, robbed him blind, was able to bring it back, put us in really good field position in Dallas territory, um, first play was a screen to Amon Ra for 13 yards, but then big tackle for loss from Mika Parsons, I think from six. Then Dorance Armstrong sack, took us all the way to about the 
50. So we had to punt it away. Um, then the big play, Lions got, we got them into third and 12. They were in their own 10 yard line at this point. Aaron Glenn ordered the mother of all blitzers. Everybody went in, thought the safety was going to be there. Dax sidesteps Derek Barnes who should have taken him down, uncorks a deep shot. As it's been said, Kindle Vildor slipped. C.D. Lamb, 92 yards, easiest touchdown he's going to score in his life. Um, Detroit then went three and out, um, tried a draw on third and short, which just didn't work. Monty got hit for three yards. But we did end the quarter with a three and out of our own, forced them to punt their room. That was the first quarter. Not much happened, a lot of big drives in there, but obviously... Our first one stalled out, the iffy interception, the, the big play. We've mentioned this there, but is there anything else you guys want to mention about the start? Does it look good and then just descended into, into defensive warfare? I, I just want to go back to the, the the safety that wasn't. I mean, like, Barnes had such a clear run on him. And when you said Dak sidestepped him, like, it wasn't like that he just, like... <laughs> you know, dropped his shoulder and sold him a dummy. Dak literally just took like a sort of six inch step to the side. And Barnes was just like, um, I, I, this will go over the head of our American friends, but um, the, the cheese rolling on May Day, you know, the guys cheese rolling when they're running down the hill yeah. and they literally got no brakes and they can only run forward. And Barnes just like, it, it was just like crazy. He, he never at any point put his arms out to try and take him down. He just ran past him. It was, I, I, I can't get over it. Like, I, I, during the commercial break, I went back and rewound it about three times. Because I'm like, what, is there something here I'm missing? Was he like knocked off balance or was he tripped or he just whiffed? It was just unbelievable. And I, the only thing I think Ash mentioned, the only thing I can think is that he was worried of drawing like a you know personal foul because he was flying so fast at Dak and whether he just tried to like put on the brakes and kind of like just forgot to make the tackle but it was it was as basic as you could get it was really disappointing from Barnes who did have a good game otherwise but like I said these moments make or break you in the playoffs Anything else you want to mention about the first Ash? Or because I know no. in the end of thing, not not that much actually. All right, we'll move it on to the second. So the Lions start the second quarter, 19-yard gain to Amon Ross St. Brown, got us to the Cowboys 38. And then and then this one. Um the Lions tried a screen pass. Uh, but Cuff was running in the opposite direction on his back foot. Tosses it up and former Michigan player of all people, Jordan Lewis, reads it from the beginning. One of the easiest picks of his life turns the ball over. Um, Dallas starts with a couple of passes to Brandon Cooks, moves them into field goal range. But then the Lions get another turnover. Prescott finds C.D. Lamb, but... C.D. Lamb, been the greedy so-and-so, he has tried to reach it over the pylon for a touchdown. He fumbled the ball through the end zone. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong, was that Vildor who knocked it out yes, on yes, that yeah, play? Yeah, it was. Kindle Vildor, with the great play, knocks it into the end zone and rolls it out. Before anyone says, that rolling out the back of the end zone turnover, I'm, I'm fine with that. Do not get rid of that rule. That is just for greedy receivers. You shouldn't have stretched out. But it was a wonderful turnover. Obviously gives the Lions the ball back. Looked like they were headed 
for a three and out. And then the most ballsy of fake punts deep in our own territory, which you can see Asher smile on his face there. First ever career pass for Jalen Reeves Mabin was a 31-yard. It, it was a dime. It was like a moon ball almost. Found Khalil Dorsey, the cornerback. So linebacker to cornerback. Catch, a great catch as well. It was a beautiful play, but 31 yards moves the chains for the Lions there. Um, rushing game you, moved. You us. always know. You always know it's a really good trick play when the NFL cameraman misses it. Yeah, yeah, because it had gone down the field looking. Yeah, yeah. For the <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, the Lions' rushing game did get us into the end zone, but we stalled out, and then on fourth and goal from the five-yard line. Goff tried to force it to Sam Laporta in the end zone. This was kind of the one where we didn't take the field goal, which people want to talk about, which will come there too. But Cowboys were able to drive out their own end zone, so obviously turned it over on downs. But Hutch got the sack, and there was a delay of game penalty as well. Cowboys went into third and 22, which they couldn't convert. So they punted it. Lions got the ball back at their own 42-yard line. Raymond with a nice return there. But just when you're thinking we could run the clock out, get some points, we went three and out. Cowboys gave we gave the Cowboys an opportunity to get a run there, but there was under 40 seconds left. They weren't able to get anything. The first half expires. It's seven three. And right, there's two big bits here in here, guys. Obviously, isn't there? There is the the screen pass that was intercepted. There was Vildor's great play in there as well. What what did we make of the second? It was attritional warfare on defense. I don't, <laughs> don't speak up too soon. I know the play was bad, but you know, it was <laughs> so so that just that fake punt. We've been setting up for a while. So we've done two fake punts where we've had like a direct snap to Reeves Maven and he runs it. And we're like, what the hell is this? This is why. Not only was it the first career pass for Jalen Reeves Maven, it was the first ever pass completion from a defensive player in Detroit Lions history. We witnessed oh, wow. history with that play. And it's just, yeah, perfect play call. Perfect. It's simply playing might be not a perfect time. I think this was at the point where Dan was a bit worried about this turning into a shootout. We've obviously, we've had a touchdown. We've had intercept, uh, two interceptions, turnovers. He's like, I need to make these drives count. I can't just let this uh, go away. So we call, we call it. It works. We go on. And then we get to that, obviously, the fourth down where it's a bit controversial. I'm okay with going for it because, as we say, we get them in their own four, their own 10-yard line. We've seen we can make plays right then. They didn't finish them. I was okay with it. With hindsight, yeah, it might have been nice for the three points. But at that point, I think Dan's like, this is going to turn to a shootout. I need to maximise the point output from my drives. I'm going to risk it here. It nearly works. But yeah, so, then at that point, it's just, it's just obviously punt, punt, and we get the sack to end the half. Like, did you say uh, defensive attrition, whoever breaks first loses. I don't know, where, where do you fall with the Dan Campbell aggressiveness, Steve? Did you like it? I, I was perfectly happy with it. I think he he didn't go for everything, um, but like the punt was just completely out of the blue and absolutely the right call. Um, and, and I think he showed like a, a mix of controlled aggression. Um, and I was more than happy because, you know, we're playing the Cowboys and I just don't think we could have gone punch for punch with them without throwing in some trickery. We had to kind of, you know, as the 
the road team, we had to kind of have a bit of flair and deception in our kind of like playbook. So I, I was cool with it. Um, what I wasn't cool about was that interception that got through. I thought it was one of his worst decisions of the season and just absolutely paid for it. And it was just at the wrong moment as well in the game. Yeah, I think you've got to be sensible. I think you've got to realise you're on your back foot. You're running away from the screen. It's going to be very difficult to convert there. I think you've just got to throw that one away. I'd, I think yeah, you can do better on that one there. I, I, I do agree with you, but... And as the pocket collapsed, there were so yeah. many bodies coming into that line of the throw. Like, just don't make that throw. Throw it away. Exactly. But I'm on the side of, I agree with you, the aggression is needed. If you want to go and win a tough road playoff game, if you want to win these big playoff games, you've got to be aggressive. You are not going to go to win in Dallas with field goals. Now, people will say we would because we lost by one, but what you don't realise is if you kick a field goal, none of the rest of the game happens. It's a completely different game because they don't turn it over and start driving, etc., etc. So you can't base it on that. You've got to go there and play aggressive. I have no problems with any of those whatsoever. But attritionally, it was great. Hutch stood up. I mean, we've made, you know, a lot of people have been like, maybe we need to see some more big, big plays from Hutch where the sacks are saving his team and he's leading the defense. I thought we didn't that. That one to end the half was really good. It's like firmly shut the door, no stupid field goals, no nothing like that. I love the way he got on with that. Um, let's do the second half because I know we're coming up on college football playoff time. So coming out, uh, da, 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 where we're third quarter. Um, so yeah, Dallas. Ball up first. Lamb picked up an early third and eight with a quick slant. They couldn't convert, though. Branch broke up a pass to Lamb on a third and 12. Lions get the ball back. We got some early success with the ground game. 22 yards from Monty was able to move us into Dallas territory. Um, fourth and two, we went for. Found Sam Laporta. Jared Goff did for a four-yard gain. Another big call from Dan. Goff then found Josh Reynolds. He ran to the Cowboys' 11-yard line. And then facing a third and two from the nine, bully ball, Montgomery rushes it in. Although there was a penalty in there. It was from the three-yard line. But Monty absolutely bulldozed it in there. One of the few times we used him in short yardage. 10-7 Lions. Um Cowboys hit back 18-yard run from Tony Pollard on third and one, which was disappointing, got them into our territory. Uh, Dallas also faced a third and 11, which they converted again at C.D. Lamb for 14 yards. He beat a branch tackle on that one when he was short of the sticks. One of Branch's few mistakes in there. There were not many, but we did get the stop on the next series of downs, forced the Cowboys to attempt a 51-yard field goal, which they got, which was good, 10 apiece. End of the quarter, a 34-yard run by Gibbs, negated by a holding penalty on James Mitchell. And I've been a big fan of J-Mo, but he's, yeah, he's got a lot of work to do there. Set our drive back a bit as we got to the fourth quarter. There was not much in the third quarter, guys. Just a couple of big, long drives in there from us, especially ours was great. But the Monty touchdown, it was a good riposte to the first half. We were able to get the score level again. Great blocking for the Monty touchdown. Like, that was our O-line at its best. It really was. And, yeah, I agree with the James Mitchell holding. I was, I was so happy because I sort of could see him. He was getting used and he was blocking really well but from passing run down. And, yeah, he makes that one poor decision and it just completely tanks his day, tanks his grave with PFF as well. Well, that and because of something else that happens at the end of the fourth. Uh, but, yeah, he had really good day. For someone who obviously last year was kind of unheralded coming off with the ACL, 
caught all of his targets, was a good, a reasonable blocker for this year with Laporta coming in, him taking all the snaps and then Brock Wright being the preferred option. He kind of faded to the background, was scratched some weeks, only got like five snaps on other weeks and was most especially... Into- he, for the most part, took his opportunity, but yeah, two plays let him down on the day and it might tank his ability to get more snaps with Ferk, so perhaps get to speed with the squad now he's on the active yeah. roster. Well, we know what we need to do, guys. We need to ask the NFL to not give holding calls because Micah Parsons did that. Oh, they didn't get no holding calls on the day and we did. So maybe that's what, maybe we're just going to go and ask nicely. Steve, will you ask Roger Goodell very nicely if we can not have any holding calls in the playoffs? That might do the trick. I'll I'll see what he says. Yeah, certainly. Um, But let's get into the fourth quarter. And this is where a lot of the fun stuff happens. So the Lions, this is when the big play to, to Waymo, as the Detroit Lions Twitter account put it. I do quite like that. But Goff hits Williams in stride. 63-yard play, which was just absolutely sensational. Jamo at his best. Unfortunately for us, he got hurt on there. He twisted his ankle and he went out the game, which I think hurt us in the red zone, especially having a guy who can get separation like that. Um, but Goff struggled to find reception there. We tried to run the ball a couple of times, got nothing. Goff tried to find Gibbs on a third and three. We have to settle for a field goal at 13-10. Dan finally deciding to become slightly passive and getting some points on the board. But the next Dallas drive, they take the lead. Um, There's a 21-yard pass to Brandon Cooks. It moved him into our territory. And a few plays later, Prescott finds Cooks for an eight-yard touchdown. That was the one where he got iffy, unfortunately. That was 17-13 to the Cowboys with 7-20 remaining. We didn't have an answer for this. We went three and out, which was really disappointing. Goff, under all the pressure in the world, couldn't find St. Brown. We punted it away with still six minutes on the clock. We barely took a minute off there. Lamb started up again. He got a key third and 10 conversion for them to keep the chains and the clock moving. But Hutch gave us another opportunity. He got a sack for uh, on a third and six, I think it was, ended making it a fourth and 13. So we were able to get one more drive. The Lions would start at their own 11-yard line with 2.33 remaining. Um, I feel like I missed one out here, did I? No. Um, Donovan Wilson... Oh, sorry. Hang on. Where was I? I got here. Apologies. I just missed there. So, yeah, you get the hutch sack. They punt it. Lions start at their own 11 with 2.33 remaining. But on the second play of the drive, Donovan Wilson jumps Jared Goff's pass that would nearly seal the game for them. And I'm going to disagree with Steve from earlier. I thought it was a fantastic pick. I don't think it was a bad pass. That was one of the best picks I've seen in a very long time. He jumped that route in no time at all and was able to get it there. We did get the stand but, that we needed. But there was we had um we had a, a wide receiver with separation about five yards up the field, and he could have changed the throw because it was obvious that was it Laporta? He was trying to he get Laporta, yeah, he yeah. was Laporta's the first read, and I think it wasn't it um Leaf. It was uh, it was it Leaf that was open because yeah, I, 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 so. I watched it back. I watched it back today. I, I think Leaf hadn't made his cut for the route yet, so he hadn't got that separation. So yeah, Goff might have been able to get to him if he wasn't pressured, but because I think there was some pressure on him, he saw that the porter was relatively open, and Wilson just jumped it. I, I think do it's agree. One of those where, yeah, yeah, I it's agree. Those, it's like Goff. I was going to say yeah, we agree. Yeah, if we agree. If Goff wasn't pressured, he might have been able to get to it, but it's just unfortunately combination of pressure and just a really good jump by Wilson. 
that combined it. It's I, it will go it goes against Goff because obviously I checked yesterday when Kiefer came out. That class is a turnover worthy play by them, I think, and it has gone against him. But it's a combination of maybe like Russia pressure, Goff being locked into his first receiver, and Wilson jumping at it. It's, I don't know. Yeah, I, I do agree. There may have been another pass on there, but I still think the pass he made. I still think it was a damn good pick. I think there's a lot of corners that would have got nowhere near that. But that that was just my thing with it. Anyhow. 2013 Cowboys with 141 left. We get the stop. They get a field goal. Um, couple of passes to Sam Laporta on our last drive. Got us to the 40-yard line. We marched down quite quickly. 14 yards then to St. Brown to get us to the 26. Laporta then gets us down to the 11 with 30 seconds left. Um, and then to cap it off, Amon Ross St. Brown dives in for 11 yards. He gets another touchdown on the year. Great for him. And then this is where all the fun starts. I was screaming, go for two here. I wanted to win the entire thing. So we yeah. opt to go for 100%. two with 23 seconds left. And we, and I'm going to say this, we convert a successful two-point play with the throw to Taylor Decker. Big man play right there. Two points. We win the game. Bring in the referees, and we'll talk about this in this, but the referees chalk it off because they call Taylor Decker ineligible. He is not the ineligible man on the play. The Lions then, because we get pinged five yards, we go seven yards away. The Lions attempt another two-yard point conversion from the seven. Goff tries to find James Mitchell, and I've got to the second time. They get pinged, sorry, for, for five neutral penalty. zone infraction. So yeah. then we get back to the original point of scrimmage and we try for a third time to go in for the two-point conversion. Goff tries to find Mitchell, throws it short of the end zone. He has to go down. It's a tough catch for him to get. I think it's. I think the throw is a bit too short for him, but yeah. it's out of Mitchell's arms. It's a very tough catch. Even if he gets it, he's short of the mark. Cowboys sneak away with the jammiest win in the world ever. And there's a lot to talk about that quarter, but referee explanation... Taylor Decker did not report himself as eligible for the play, which is absolute balderdash because him and Penny are stood right in front of referee Brad Allen. Jared Goff sends Taylor Decker over to report eligible. The two guys are there. He reports eligible. And Dan Skipper, who is running onto the field and is about 20 yards away at the time, number 70, gets primed as the eligible man. That's who Brad... Alan says to the Cowboys, this is the eligible receiver. Even though Skipper didn't speak to the ref at any point. Yeah. Skipper didn't say a fucking word. Now, excuse my obscenity, but that is the actual oh, no, just, line that he used. He's, he's exactly what to say. You're just quoting him twice. Exactly, that's what I mean. I'm sorry for the obscenity, but I'm just telling you how it was said in real life. He didn't say a word, but this costs the line the game. They have a successful two-point try I mean, Dallas would have had 23 seconds left to get a field goal. Who knows what would have happened, but we'd have signed soft. It would have been very difficult for them to get something out of the game. And it is robbed. And other parts in this play, there is a blatant DPI missed on Amara St. Brown on this drive. There is big holdings missed as well. But this was, and everybody who has come out afterwards, even skipped. Bayless said it was bull, and he is the biggest Cowboys homer in the world, unless it suits him to attack Dak. 
this was just a disgusting decision at the end of the game, which ruined a really good game and in the end, a really good performance because the Lions' offense came to life when it needed to in clutch situations, got the scores, your big players come up and do it, your defense makes stop after stop after stop, Hutcher's great stop there, all to be wasted by that. It was it was infuriating, guys. Yeah, but then you don't you know that that we deserve it because we tried to trick the Cowboys. We tried to do something that made it hard to see who the eligible receiver was. So we deserved it. If that's the fucking case, then let's stop motion. Let's stop play action. Let's do so simple five uh, three step drop, quick passes so the defense can see everything that's happened easily and play uh, stop it. Of course, if people don't know what I'm referring to, I'm referring to the article by Pro Football Talk today that basically that's what the league's saying. It's all our fault. Despite them also dropping Brad Allen's crew from the playoffs, make it make sense. Make it make sense. If ESPN can have the footage of the EP, the lineman coming over and speaking to Brad Allen mere moments after it happening and they can analyze it live, why the fuck can't someone in New York radio see that radio to the fuck to whoever it is and say, actually you made a bad call here, let's sort it out? Just like because we're in Jerry World. Because exactly, Jerry Wald must have paid him a big bank, almost as much as uh, Jurgen Klopp must have given the referee in today's game for that dive for Mo Salah for the penalty. So what was also jarring about this is on the broadcast, they then started saying, oh, it's not just that penalty, it's three others. One, Taylor Decker is not, you know, there's he's uncovered, which it doesn't matter. If he's an eligible receiver, which he was, that is not a penalty. Then they started trying to say Amon Ra is impinging. Amon Ra's covering up him. He's not. He's away from the line of scrimmage. Absolute bull. So you've got the guy on air saying they've got three penalties. Not one of them is true. You have video evidence of Goff sending Taylor over. You have video evidence of Brad talking to Taylor and walking away looking at Taylor and not at Dan, and then you've got all these guys coming out trying to defend them today. The Lions didn't do it properly. It came out that Dan discussed this play with the refs, told them exactly what was going to happen, exactly who was going to be eligible, everything about it he told the refs. And he even went and spoke to Brad Allen one-on-one about it because Brad Allen didn't turn up for the, the referees meeting with the coaches beforehand. He went and spoke to Brad specifically about it. That's what's the fucking annoying thing. Like, and well, the simple proof is they've got a microphone on. Yeah, okay, it's not turned on for the stadium team, but that's on at all times. Release the audio, but the NFL won't because they got the outcome they wanted. So they're not going to do it. They don't give a shit. They'll just give Brad a slap on the hand. He won't be in the playoffs. We'll be back for next year fucking things up because it's not the first big fuck-up he's made this year. He's made a series of them, but because... It's a sort of protect your own kind of league. He won't have too much against him. We'll just get a slap on the wrist and he'll be back next year fucking games up for teams. Frank says, should the Lions, re- Lions fans dress as refs for the Vikings game? No, we should dress as refs for Halloween because like scary stuff happens with the refs. That's when you should do it for. Very quick snap. Worse than the Pettigrew call or not? I have to abstain because I actually don't remember that. The pedigree call is more subjective. Like this is like I mean we've got does this video annoy you evidence. more um, than the pedigree call because no, that was incorrect. No, that was incorrectly picked up. This no was... because no because um, with that one that effectively put us out of you know that us out of the playoffs. 
Whereas this one, we're still in the playoffs. It just mess fucks up our seed and. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I now I now I know what you mean because I I don't call it I call it the I said the Hitchens for oh, uh, yeah. call. Yeah, that's because that's why I got confused. Yeah, I agree, Steve. Uh, Hitchens won because but we've still got can, a chance in the playoffs. They, they, you that can blanket them both stop. in the same name, which is the Dallas screw job. Yeah, yeah, the Dallas screw job, the first and the second. Yeah. But just very quickly, fourth quarter in general, the team I think performed very admirably. Obviously. Hutch gets the stop with the sack. Very clutch drive to get that touchdown. I, I was really impressed with the team in the fourth quarter and what they did. Because we we'd gone three and out so many times in that sort of sec in the second half. That that stop, that final stop with Hutch, that was massive for me because how many times have we been screaming that you know make a play, someone make a play, we need to get the ball back, and Hutch just came up massively there. Uh, that was such a pivotal moment in the game. Yeah, and I'm gutted for him because, again, if, if we win that game, it's because of Hutch. And then, like, we can start talking. Hutch won us that game because that's that's just what he lacks at the minute. These legitimate moments. Not his fault, but yeah. this would have been a huge thing for him. But, Ash, the fourth quarter was really good on both sides. But towards the end, when it mattered and they are under the most pressure, everybody delivered. Exactly, especially Hutch. So going on to that, obviously, the one... Where they punted before our inception. Not only did Hutch sack uh, sack Dap, he also stripped him. And Terrence still made the best his best play of the game by recovering that fumble. Like as you say, when it came to the clutch, everyone stepped up, and that's a good thing because as we keep saying, two weeks time we'll be in a win and uh, uh, win or you're out kind of game. We need those kind of that kind of mentality. So it's good to hear uh, to see that from everyone. Yeah. Um... But overall, yeah, it disappointing. Just such a bad end. As what so, that should have been such a statement win for us. It really should have, and it's just ruined everything. But we're gonna have to box that for now. As Dan said, take that and move it into the playoffs and use it to use a whooping on somebody. As Steve has just very rightly said, the Rose Bowl is just kicking off. So we've kind of done the game themes as we've been going on here. Um, but let's do the cigars and subpars first. And I've added a third category for this. So you've got cigars, subpars, and baseball bat wrapped in rusty steel. Um, you can you can hit someone with that. So whoever you want to think of that, go. But in terms of great performances on the day of the cigars, who, who do we want to give? Steve, you first, Ash, you after, and then I'll do mine. Um, Aidan Hutchinson, five solo tackles, three sacks, four tackles for loss, Five QB hits, absolutely outstanding, um, and effectively like got us back in the game and got put us in a position to win the game. For, for me, Hutch's Hutch's best game, like he was absolutely a premier edge rusher. He put, in that game, he, you know, he really because Hutch has always kind of flashed, but he absolutely dominated this game. Yeah, Brian Branch. Had a couple of down games against the Saints, uh, Chicago and relatively Bronx Broncos. But this past couple of weeks, he's turned back into the Brian Branch Red at the start of the season and at least shores up one of the holes in the secondary. Just need to sort out the outside now. Yeah, well, of course, I'm going to make my guys there. We're, we're in the Kindle Vildor Appreciation Society here. But I think the impact he's had on this team to, to knock Jerry out the starting lineup and for even guys like you know, Will Harris and not seeing Stephen Gilmore get on the field. He's 
like in front of guys who've been here all year, he's playing ball, he's playing good ball, and it's desperately needed. This is again outside of a couple of big chunk plays, the secondary is looking better. So you've got to put him in there. If he is in the cigar section as well, he's just man gets all the stogies in the world at the minute. So um, that is great. Subpars, who are we giving? I mean, I don't like to do it, but we, we do have to be critical sometimes. So is there anyone in the subpar category today? For me, Ben Johnson, um, because I, I just don't think he schemed the offense well enough. Um, and like I said, too many tackles for loss from the Cowboys. I think they had, how many tackles for loss did they have? Um, eight. eight. I mean, yeah, when you've got people like David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, you just can't afford um, to, for them to be just hit constantly behind the line of scrimmage. And for me, that's on Ben Johnson. He'd say it, Jonah, just having a really down couple of weeks. He needs to step it back up, especially really into crunch time because teams targeting him. And it's evidence. I know obviously Ragnar got charged with a sack. It was on Jonah. He needs to step it up the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that, that was probably the direction I was going as well. But I'll go for the other one. Cam, his, Cam's got to be better. Like if yeah. Kindle can come in and do what he's doing, Cam has got to be better. I know he gets the tougher assignments, but... There were some bad ones, like the missed tackle on CD when he had him and he got 31 yards. Like, you can't be doing that. You, you've got to do that there. And then finally, baseball bat with rusty metal on there. I guess we're all giving that to Brad Allen. He, he wins yeah. that, like, hands down. So uh, I'm, I'm going to give it to the Packers fans who piled on Twitter um, <laughs> after the game um, because, you know, they thought it was funny. Oh, don't you know Jordan Love is him now, Steve? You're seeing I mean, all that going around. They, they, they. It's like two in and throwing, isn't it? One week it's get guy in the draft. Next it's Jordan Love is God. There's, there's, there's no middle ground. I, I don't know whether you know it's um, laughing at the lions or whether it's just jealousy that you know it's um, not just Lambeau Field where the the refs are on their knees. Hey, Madonna. <laughs> Right, so we'll leave that in terms of everything sort of with the game day. So, yeah, disappointing for the Lions, but hey, we're still 11-5 and five on the year. Win at the end against the Vikings, and we're 12-5 and five exactly as I predicted. So we, we were right where I want to be at this point. Are you guys 12-5 and five as well, or were you more ambitious than that? Where were I, think we we're 12, I think it was 12-5, and five, but speaking of that, as Matt revealed on the live stream, there was no way to catch him. He's won that bloody pre-season prediction thing. Oh, I see. I'm we, surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised he's not. Well, if it was Steve, we'd know because he'd be wearing a crown <laughs> on the stream right now. So <laughs> exactly, I'd have that. an ermine robe on. Oh dear. Oh. Um, right again, the Michigan game. But very quickly, just sort of any other talking points that you want to mention from around the NFL this week? I mean, good God, how good do the Ravens look at this point? Like, yeah. <laughs> You've got to out of everybody, they look like they're Super Bowl favorites right now at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just going to say, you know, um, keep up the good work in Philadelphia, Agent Patricia. <laughs> they might uh, never I mean, win a game again. I tell you what, Kyler Murray looked good. Kyler Murray was playing was playing some ball in that game. He looked really good. But what the fuck is going on in the Eagles? Uh, Matt Patricia, like I don't know. It can't can't just be him. They were awful. So obviously, yeah, 
the Ravens are the one seed in the AFC. The 49ers are the one seed. I'm still not sold on the 49ers entirely there, but I mean, just to, to do away with the Dolphins like that was crazy. Obviously, the Browns, God, what season they're having. They're 11 wins now, and their injury list is huge. Like Joe Flacco's their quarterback. You know, what year what are, we in, are we in 2013? I was about to say, yeah. Dare I say it? Browns line Super Bowl. Let's when do did, it. When did Flacco get to the Super Bowl? Was it 2013? 2013, because it was him and Kaepernick. So I remember that was my first ever Madden I played. It was the demo of Madden 14, and it was the Super Bowl 49ers, Ravens, and I'd always play as the Ravens. And also, what is going on in the NFC South? It's like every time like someone goes to the top of the table, they're like, no, after you, no, after you. Like the Saints beating the Bucks. I, I couldn't believe that. And the Falcons have still got a mathematical chance of getting in the playoffs. It's just mental. No, no one wants to win that division. I just, I just want to ask this question before we go for everyone in there, but who does everyone think the Super Bowl is going to be? I'm asking this to the chat as well. What do you think the Super Bowl is going to be currently, given what you've seen, given as we're just about to go into playoff season at this point? But I don't know. What would you feel the Super Bowl is going to be? Ravens 49ers. Simple. Well, you're going battle of the one seeds. Yeah. Ravens Lions. Oh, I'll take it. Oh, how could it be if it was Browns Lions? Let's manifest a Cleveland Browns Detroit Lions Super Bowl. <laughs> no, we know uh, gonna... there's something about the Ravens that I just think. I I just think that like they could get they could just lose a game like completely unexpectedly. Um. I don't know. There's there's something about them that I just wouldn't I, I wouldn't put any money on them because I I just got a feeling they're like they're vulnerable to like in a game that they absolutely should win. They're they're vulnerable to the AFC. Like it's going to be one if they get to the Super Bowl, they're rolling over whoever they meet there. I think, but it's my one. In terms of, is there any other games that you want to quickly mention for weekends? Obviously, Texans and the, the Strouds, as we should call them now, they win again. They look like they might be going to the playoffs. Bills, I mean, oh God, how big is that one this weekend? Bills-Dolphins. That is oh, that is a huge game coming into this weekend. If Monday Night Football ends in a particular way, I can't remember which way it is, the Bills next week have to win or they're at, or they're at the playoffs. Because yeah, I think it's because the Colt the Colts are playing um, Jags. The, the Jags. So basically one of them is going to get a win. Yeah. And um, they're both nine win teams, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. But let's not forget that the you know, we said the Ravens are invincible, but they lost that awful game when they played terribly to the Colts. Like they lost against Gardner Minshew. Um and they lost to what I think a really crap Steelers team. Um, so we've got Ravens Lions and Ravens San Francisco. That is the overwhelming favourite for the Super Bowl. So I mean, be great to get some vengeance on them there. Um, oh, quick, a couple of quick questions to get out of here. Bruce Irving, last call up to the. Do you sign him to the fifty-three? With Houston coming back potentially. Nah, he was Houston cover for me. Flashed against the Saints, but hasn't done anything since. Steve, do you bring him back? Uh, no, I I think we've got it enough. All right. 
Okay, I think that's everything. Oh, the other thing Mike asked, who's making the 1,000-yard club? Monty needs 25 yards, Gibbs needs 85, Laporta 160. Do we have four 1,000-yard guys this year, two rushing, two receiving? No. I think Monty can get it easily. Gibbs is a push. Laporta's not getting there, unfortunately. Steve? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean... We might drop. We we might rest one of Monty and um and Gibbs. So maybe I don't know. But if maybe they give Monty enough plays to get his twenty five yards, and then Gibbs gets the rest of the snaps. I don't know. All right, love it. Right, well, we'll end it there. So thanks everyone. Thanks to everyone who has joined us this evening. And again, Matt has been ill with the flu, so thank you for bearing with me for a show because it's a little bit different. But hope you've all enjoyed it. Enjoy Monday night football this evening. Enjoy the Rose Bowl. We're all going to go and watch that now. Michigan and Bama. Hopefully, Michigan go beat the absolute hell out of them, guys. Thank you for joining as always. Um, next shows. Believe we'll be back Thursday on the Main Lions pod for the Minnesota Vikings preview. And then me and Ryan will be back on Wednesday for the college football podcast where we will either talk nice about Michigan for two hours or talk badly about Michigan for two hours. Who knows? But join us for those. And of course, Ash and Matt are going to be back on the weekend for the live reaction show for the Minnesota Vikings game as we attempt to lock up the three seed. So it's going to be good fun. You know where to find us all. Roar of the Lions UK, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all that good stuff. We're that big now that you can just type us in and we're the first object that appears. So that's all great. But thanks, Steve. Thanks, Ash. I really appreciate you joining me. And we shall see you again soon. Just remains for me to say thank you and one pride. Fuck the rest.